My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. This is my co-host, uh, Jason Bryant. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Today, our, we have our guest with us, Dr. Jeffrey Ian Ross, and I'll be giving an introduction for him in a second, but I wanted to um, just tell everybody that we're welcoming Jason back after being featured on Lisa Ling's season seven premiere of This Is Life with Lisa Ling on CNN. Uh, Jason, it was a powerful piece, an emotionally moving piece. Uh, your story and the stories of everybody involved moved the hearts of this nation and brought healing in a powerful way. You know, to me, it was just what the doctor ordered. I mean, I was sitting right next to you and I knew the story and I still got emotional and was crying yeah. a little bit. Um, so if any of our subscribers, followers <laughs> or listeners haven't seen it yet, it's definitely a must see. You can see it on um, CNN, Hulu, YouTube. It's literally one of the most authentic, honest pieces of journalism that I've ever seen. I just want to give thanks to Jason and to, to um, Jim and me and Micheletti, Palma School, our brothers in Soledad, and Lisa Lee. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was an incredible opportunity and a humbling experience to say the least. Were you able to catch it, Dr. Ross? No, I wasn't. But uh, they often replay those uh, episodes uh, by uh, Lisa Ling, so I'm going to try to catch it uh, on another time round. Unless, and uh, alternatively, if you've got a link and you can send it to me, I'd love to see it. You got it. You got it. Perfect. Um, like I said, today, our guest is Dr. E, uh, Jeffrey Ian Ross, PhD. He's a professor in the School of Criminal Justice, College of Public Affairs, and a research fellow of the Center for International and Comparative Law and the Schaefer Center for Public Policy at the University of Baltimore. Uh, Dr. Ross has been a visiting professor at Ruhr Universität Bochum, Germany, and the University of Padua, Italy. He has researched, written, and lectured primarily on corrections, Policy, political crime, state crime, crimes of powerful, crimes of the powerful, violence, street culture, and crime and justice in American Indian, in, and Indian communities for over the last two decades. Dr. Ross's work has appeared in many academic journals and books, as well as popular media. He is the co-founder of Convict Criminology and the author, co-author, editor, or co-editor of several books, including several seven of them on correctional facilities, prisoners, and ex-convicts. Some of the titles include Behind Bars, Surviving Prison, Convict Criminology, Special Problems in Corrections, Beyond Bars, Rejoining Society After Prison, and the Globalization of Supermax Prisons. So um, welcome to the Prison Post, Dr. Ross. We're happy to have you with us today. Uh, thanks, Richard and Jason, for inviting me. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, Dr. Ross, I'd like to start off with a, with a story in the beginning. Um we, we touched on it a little bit when we first talked, but, um, you know, like I, like I like to say sometimes, you know, I, I believe in providence. Um, uh, you know, some people call it luck. Some people call it chance, coincidence. But, um, you know, for me, it's providence. And I've been watching the puzzle pieces uh, come together for the work we were doing for a decade in there with the crop organization and the work that we continue to do today. It was over 10 years ago when I first met uh, Jason Bryant. And, the, and our executive director of crop organization, Ted Gray. Ted was close friends with um, someone who he, we all consider our brother, Eugene Day. They, were both, they are both visionaries. Um, they're both very scholarly. They're far more well-read in, in this space uh, than, than I am. And when I first met them, they were, Eugene had just published a piece in the Journal for Prisoners on Prisoners, JPP, and called convict clinicians, and they had this, what was what seemed like a uh, an insane idea at the time, um, that we could get guys in prison certified uh, to become state certified alcohol and drug counselors, which wasn't happening at the time, and and those of us, and those of us who are incarcerated, could become the uh, counselors, AOD counselors, alcohol and drug counselors for those of our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated. They took that idea and we began working on building a team, uh, brainstorming, and we ended up bringing that to fruition. But what I, what I didn't know early on was that Eugene's inspiration for convict, convict clinicians was your work, uh, Convict Criminology, on Convict Criminology and your book. 
and Eugene would always read these JPPs and they, they, they read a lot of what I sometimes at the, at the time I thought were a lot of scholarly, very scholarly, uh, dry articles. And then I started reading it. I said, wow, this stuff is profound. And, um, they were always, uh, passing it to me and Jason to read. And, and so we just want to thank you, um, for your work. Your work was an inspiration for our work. And, and Jason could share a little bit more on, um, what has come to pass since then, since that your ideas came out, you published your ideas, they inspired Eugene, Eugene inspired Ted, they, they cast a vision, and, and then some amazing things have come about since then. Go ahead, Jay. Sure, it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating because initially the idea that Eugene was inspired by your writing was to have uh, incarcerated people serve as tour, tour guides for the prison. Because basically what he got from your literature was that the people who are closest to the pain points have typically have the best solutions to the problems. Um, and that's, that's kind of where our programs, our programming efforts really started. And it's, it's interesting how it's, it kind of comes full circle because particularly in society today, it's in California, especially there's a, there's a term going around called uh, the importance of proximate leadership. The people who are closest to the pain points are the ones that typically uh, have great solutions on how to uh, rectify those issues. So just to, just to kind of mirror what, what Richard's saying, you know, uh, your, your contributions uh, on the other side of the country uh, impacted us in a way and, and really propelled our work in, in many ways. So we're extremely grateful um, for your thoughts and, and, and the work that you've done. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> what an ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, um, uh, we were we were we were in Soledad for a long time, and you know, by the by the grace of God, today we're out, we're free, and um, and we're you know, not only not only did um, you know, it have an impact on our vision, but thirty three of our men went through our alcohol and drug counseling program, and today they're utilizing their certification. They use they utilize their certification on the mainline while we were in. We infiltrated mm-hmm. the self help groups. Uh, the rehabilitative groups, the rehabilitative community, and even the what the prison eventually began to offer through substance abuse programs, SUD programs, and all of our guys were just completely immersed in all the programs, and um, they utilized their certification in powerful ways to transform lives, and we had a vision to transform the culture of prison. Today, all but a, um, three or four of them are, are thriving in the, in the community with careers of service as AOD counselors. I know that Eugene is still on the editorial board of the JPP today. And so, you know, it's just, um, you never know, you never know what, how the work that you're doing is right. making an impact completely across the country, even in a small prison in Cal- Soledad, California. So just sure. grateful to have you. And, and, and we should, yeah. I, no, I, I was like, just going to go ahead. Those are amazing accomplishments. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, guys. No, it's okay. I just wanted to say, you know, we're sharing some of, our appreciation for how you've your work has inspired us. And uh, one of the questions I had for you, Dr. Ross is where did your inspiration come from to begin this work? Uh, uh, you know, it's a, a great question. Um, so, um, you know, I'm actually a political scientist by training and uh, that's the discipline in which I earned my PhD. Uh, but uh, early in my professional career, I discovered that my scholarship best, uh, in the fields of criminology and criminal justice. And I think in many respects, more importantly, I like hanging out with criminologists more than I like hanging out with political scientists. Uh, you know, that being said, I have a number of life experiences that made me better suited to be a criminologist. I worked close to four years in a correctional facility. Uh, and uh, I swore that uh, on the day that I left uh, my job and, and entered into initially a master's program and then a PhD that I'd never uh, set foot again in a correctional facility to, uh, in any shape or capacity. And, you know, uh, here I am, uh, several years later doing research and trying to help both, uh, convicts and ex convicts, um, you know, uh, find a voice for their work and for their struggles, uh, and to make some noticeable changes in the correctional, uh, system in the United States. So there's also another thing too, is it, it's kind of a joke, uh, and that I tell people and that's, uh, but it is based on reality. About one third of the people 
who I grew up with, uh, you know, my friends became lawyers. Another third of them were criminal justice practitioners like police officers and the balance were criminals. So uh, like the famous author, uh, M. Scott Peck has argued, I, I took the road mm-hmm. less traveled. Mm-hmm. Great book. Yeah, definitely. We always recommend that book to, to uh, our friends. What was it, what was your experience there uh, working in corrections that, that led to you having that perspective that I'm never going back again? Well, I found that the majority of people uh, who came uh, to our facility, and this was a unique facility, people came to our facility to get one day, 30, 60, and 90 day evaluations to determine whether or not they were fit to stand trial and whether or not they were suffering from a major mental illness. And uh, at the, uh, the commonality I found was that the majority of people who had a contact with the criminal justice system had some sort of uh, psychological problem uh, and they uh, you know, came maybe from a broken home. Uh, they didn't get the proper kinds of inputs. And, and, uh, and behind it all, I found that uh, a lot of the resources that they could have gotten from the uh, the state, you know, the government, uh, were, were not there when they were most and critically needed. And that's why I went into political science. I wanted to look at those broader issues of uh, where governments uh, work and where they fail. And, uh, uh, but, it, you know, cycled back and it all, you know, brought me back to the initial challenges and that be the challenge of corrections and people who are uh, behind bars and experiencing uh, prison and jail and, and uh, people who are, uh, undergoing reentry and how they can best succeed when they're, when they're out. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Sure. Do you, do you, in your experience, do you believe that incarcerated people suffer further psychological trauma uh, through incarceration itself? I would say the majority of them do. Um, mm. the, uh, the, the time behind bars reinforces a lot of the worst tendencies in people. Mm-hmm. Um, getting rehabilitated behind bars is extremely difficult. Um, this, the, 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 the environment is not conducive for education or for rehabilitation, though uh, there are you know, plenty of exceptions, like the people who've gone through your, your classes and who have uh, and courses and who, uh, upon release, have uh, contributed back to their community and they've been uh, free from uh, the criminal justice system in terms of being uh, rearrested or being sent back to, to prison. So some people do thrive, um, but uh, most people, a, a time time behind bars is, is generally a, a time that where a person, you know, deep, you know, uh, uh, gets worse psychologically, emotionally, among other things. You know, they'll lose contact with their uh, wife, girlfriend, children, uh, parents, um, and uh, this is uh, this is not 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 a good thing. Um, among other uh, negative, uh, you know, impacts from a, a time spent behind bars. Sometimes it's a time for reflection. Some people do use the time wisely. Um, they get, you know, drug-free, alcohol-free, um, and uh, it's a time to reflect, uh, maybe start getting into a regular pattern of exercise, a regular pattern of reading and studying, and maybe finally getting that GED or uh maybe even taking a few community college classes uh, or some specializations, some skills that might assist them when they're upon release in terms of, you know, anger management, uh, you know, drug counseling, alcohol counseling, like you mentioned sure. before, and job skills training. Which it's interesting. Go ahead. Those kind of things. I was just going to ask him, uh, Dr. Ross, if you would unpack for our viewers and listeners a little bit about what convict criminology is. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so, you know, although convict criminology has been called a group, a movement, an organization, or a school, or a theory, it's primarily a network. Uh, if you don't like the word network, then uh, use the word platform, although they're not necessarily interchangeable. But we're united in the perception that the convict voice has been neglected or minimized in scholarship and policy debates in criminal justice in general and in corrections in particular. Um, so it's mainly for people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, uh, who've earned a PhD in the fields of criminology or criminal justice or in an allied field, uh, who are working on, uh, on a doctorate. Um, and I, I'm going to get to some more of the nitty gritty here. So 
We also include people who've been justice impacted, like they had a parent or a child uh, who was incarcerated. And it also includes uh, prison activists who share our mission. The question you may ask and your, your listeners and viewers may ask is why the PhD? And, and clearly there are a lot of articulate convicts, ex-convicts, mm-hmm. you and I know them. You guys are, are you know, you know, very well-spoken. And you've got lots of uh, unique insights, lots of interesting things to say. But earning a PhD from an accredited university in the field of criminology, criminal justice, or an allied field uh, generally means that you can uh, critically analyze the field of corrections in a social scientific manner. So you can go head-to-head, toe-to-toe with uh, people who are experts who have a, a PhD. That's great. Well, I'm, I don't know if I'm in the right field. But I have a I have a master's degree in uh, philosophy, and I wrote my thesis on the value of rehabilitated programs in prison. So maybe uh, my retirement plan is to go back to school and get my PhD in philosophy. Maybe there's some uh, points of connection there. Write a dissertation on on that. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, there's points of connection now. I mean, sure. uh, we have people who have you know bachelors and masters, and they're contributing to the overall all, all mission. But it, in general, the initial focus was you know people who were working on their PhD who are, you know, ex-cons um, or justice-impacted prison activists. Uh, we can all contribute. We can all help each other in, in the collective mission. Sure. Absolutely. Dr. Ross, in, in 20 years, um, over 20 years of incarceration myself, I don't, I don't think, besides Jason earning two master's degrees while he was incarcerated, I've met a handful of other guys who, who earned a master's degree, but I, I never met one who earned a, a doctorate. And I'm curious of, you know, how many, um, well, first of all, I don't remember there being a doctorate program from an accredited university that we could even attend because of the technology in there, you know, in the prison that we were in. I I think that federal prisons are a little bit different, but state prisons in California, they're not allowing us internet access. They're not allowing us to do, you know, online courses that, uh, at all. Um, So um, I, I was just curious how many, uh, incarcerated first and then formerly incarcerated are actually coming out to um, earn their PhDs and with specifically in those, in the fields that you mentioned. Uh, another great question. So people come and go uh, as part of the network. It's always been very fluid. And so over, and it's not just simply limited to the United States. Uh, we have people who are part of convict criminology uh, in other countries like Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and also in, in Europe. And so um, the, uh, uh, you know, at its height, we've had 50 to 100 people who are, who are, uh, who have PhDs, who have been formally incarcerated, who've been affiliated with convict criminology. So here's the thing, and you, you correctly identified it, is that it's difficult to get any, any, uh, formal education higher than, uh, you know, a, a GED in most correctional facilities. Uh, and it's a struggle to get a bachelor's or a master's from an accredited university behind bars. So what happens, so there's basically, you know, two kinds of models. There are people who already have a PhD and then they uh, are uh, convicted of some sort of uh, crime and they spend time behind bars. And then upon release, uh, they, uh, find out about us or uh, while they're behind bars, uh, they, uh, find out about us and they make the connection with people who are part of the network. And then, uh, they start contributing to our network. Alternatively, it's someone who, uh, either has a GED, uh, or has a bat, a bachelor's or a master's, uh, that they've earned behind bars. And upon release, we help them to get into a, uh, you know, accredited PhD program. Mm. And thus, uh, they graduate with the PhD. And then there's a whole mentoring process that we, uh, you know, we, we try to uh, help these individuals with, uh, you know, both while they're behind bars and w- upon release. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's make things uh, kind of concrete right now. So about Thank a you. week ago, I got an email from a individual who was released in the spring uh, of this year from a f- uh, federal uh, penitentiary. And he uh, told me that, uh, that he had met me uh, while I had given a series of lectures at some FBOP 
um, facilities. And uh, I didn't remember the, the gentleman. Uh, and uh, he even said that we corresponded together. And I then, you know, the, I, I started recalling that there was some uh, correspondence I, I had with him. But I don't know the nature and the substance of the correspondence. But he said, hey, listen, I want to do, um, you know, enroll in a bachelor's program. Uh, where uh, he, where he can benefit from uh, the kinds of things I teach, and I explained to, explained to him the, the nuances of different programs, um, and found out also in the meantime that he had uh, completed two years a university uh, at a university. So, uh, uh, and so what I did was so okay. So I had that information, uh, and then fortuitously. Another colleague emailed me and said, hey, listen, I have a program uh, uh, that gives university-level credits to uh, formerly incarcerated people, and do you know anybody who might benefit? So I was able to put the individual who contacted me and the person I know who's offering a course together, and he has free tuition. Uh, wow. He has benefit of a university-level class. And at the very end of it, uh, our mutual hope, that is both the, the student, the instructor, and myself, that that stepping stone will uh, make his uh, application to a formal university program all the more attractive. And so mm -hmm. there may be another course at the university that uh, my colleague is offering that he may uh, be able to avail himself of, or a whole program that he might be able to avail himself of from, but he just took one step further to completing uh, his uh, university's bachelor's degree. And, and it, you know, you, you don't get, uh, you don't move forward uh, at lightning speed. Uh, it's incremental. Um, and it, it's, but uh, you do make progress if you have the right attitude and you have the right uh, people, you know, uh, in your corner assisting you and uh, helping you to navigate the rough waters of academia and, and, and university education. What, what are some of the problems that you and this network of academics are hoping to solve? Are they more internal, like inside of institutions, or are they more external, like the way that members of society are actually viewing our incarcerated populations? I think that uh, we are trying to uh, bring uh, attention, more attention to um, prisons and jails to reentry uh, by people who have actually been incarcerated. And like you said sure. you know, earlier, th this notion that, you know, people who are closest to the pain uh, often have the best solutions. Um, and so I think that's, that's part of it. But I think what uh, one of the, one of the problems with uh, uh, the study of uh, prisons, jails, and, and corrections um, in, uh, uh, in 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 prisons is 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 the following, and that is uh, so much of the research that has been done on corrections has been done from a quantitative perspective, um, and in general, there you know there that's a, the, the there's nothing inherently wrong with a quantitative approach, but there are some drawbacks to a uh, disproportionately quantitative approach to the study of corrections. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, but there is a, another aspect too, and that, as, that is as it concerns um, uh, the, the classroom. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and that is uh, when uh, incarcerated, well, formerly incarcerated people um, uh, are brought to the classroom as students, and as instructors, they provide a, an additional perspective. So, sure. Um, let me be more specific. Okay. So, many criminologists have or have 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 been uh, were uh, criminal justice practitioners, or, or currently criminal justice practitioners, particularly if they're teaching part time. So, they're former uh, police officers or administrators or former. Uh, lawyers, judges, public defenders, prosecutors, they may even be former correctional officers or, you know, administrators, parole probation officers. Rarely do we see people who have had firsthand experience with the criminal justice system as perpetrators of crime uh, or someone who has been convicted of a crime and spent time behind bars. 
working as a criminologist. And so that piece of the puzzle has been lacking. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of these individuals who have, uh, you know, uh, lived uh, ex- experiences uh, can sure. contribute to the, to the mission of criminology and criminal justice. Uh, why, why do so, you think? Why do you think that their voices have been silenced for so long? Okay, so um, one is that there have not been a lot of people coming out of prison who have had who have earned a PhD, um, mm-hmm. and who have also chosen uh, to work as a university instructor. That's that's one okay. thing. Second is to a certain extent, I think there has uh, in uh, previous decades a bias towards people who have uh, a criminal background. Mm. Uh, I think universities have become over the last, say, 20 years more accepting of people who have a criminal uh, conviction. Um, So there's been been a lot, there's a lot more, say, uh, tolerance for people who've had a a criminal conviction. Uh, We've also had to battle things like ban the box. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The, uh, you know, the, the numerous uh, ways that uh, you know an electronic jacket can accumulate, and, and the criminal background checks that universities mm-hmm. uh, uh, have uh, have engaged in those sorts of things have been have been difficult in in the past. Uh, but I think uh, the field of criminology and criminal justice uh, has um, uh, has become a lot more uh, you know liberal or accepting and realizing that this is really a missing piece of the puzzle. Here's another thing too, is that uh, some of the people who graduate from, uh, well, some of the people who uh, have done time behind bars, um, they have chosen, uh, if they've done a PhD, they've chosen to, to not do a PhD in the field of criminology or criminal justice or in allied social right. science. They want, they want nothing to do with that field. Right. Those, sorts of, those sorts of questions don't interest them for one reason or another, or they, they repel them. They don't want to have anything to do with those kinds of questions uh, because it, it, it may remind them of their former self or the trauma they, they experienced behind bars. And, you know, I can, I, I get it and we get it too. Um, and so in fact, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, my closest colleagues, he uh, did a PhD uh uh, I think in medical research and he found it very difficult to, um, uh, get a job, uh, because of, uh, prohibitions, uh, of hiring people with criminal backgrounds, uh, doing this kind of research in that field. But he found that in the field of criminology and criminal justice, he was welcomed with open arms, uh, sure. and uh, he could do the, he could do research, uh, in that area. So he had to, you know, you know, file that chapter away right. of his pre- previous self and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of retool so that he uh, was more accepted in the field of criminology and criminal justice. We can kind of speak to that a little bit as well. Um, I know that through our experience, there was d- typically two different attitudes um, from people who were serving time, uh, especially when they came close to their parole dates. One attitude was, you know, as soon as I'm out of this place, I'm never looking back. I don't want to think about yep. this place. I don't want to uh, remember, have any memories of it. It was uh, one of the worst times in my life. Um, and I don't ever want to reflect on it or reference it. Um, but then right. uh, there's another attitude. I mean, you're, you're sitting with two guys right now who have committed our lives to this work. And there is a, a healthy community, particularly of people who have served long amounts of time in prison and who have really come to an authentic transformation in themselves and, and identified the value in adding value to, in, in contributing to this conversation in particular of criminal justice reform and, and how to help us get things right. Uh, so, so there is a healthy community of people who are not only well-spoken, but well-educated as well, uh, who, who are eager to contribute to this conversation. Yeah, and many of us yeah. are looking That's- forward to the opportunities of going back. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dr. Ross. No, I said that's great to hear. And, and I, I think, Richard, uh, you, 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 and, and I, I cut you off, and, 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 but I, I, I kind of know where you're going. Yeah, you can go back inside uh, a correctional facility and you can serve as a mentor or a guide uh, at some level to the people behind bars and say, hey, look, this is, you know, uh, outside's not going to be easy, but here are some things that you should 
you know, expect and, and, and we're willing to lend a helping hand as long as you do your own part. I, I, again, I'm putting words in your own mouth. Uh, I'm not apologizing <laughs> for that. So, well, well, uh, Jason and I and the rest of our crop directors ha- have uh, recently had the privilege of doing a, a biweekly show with the um, director of rehabilitative programs. He's over all, all programs in, uh, for the California prison system, vocations, education. Um, our executive director and I, Ted uh, Gray, and also um, uh, Matthew Braden, who's on our team, we worked in the college department up there for, I don't know, maybe six years. We were the college clerks and we just, we could, we could pinpoint, here's how, it's, here's what's not working. Here's what's working. Here's how it could be better. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, um, we are having those opportunities to have those conversations where, you know, it could become possible in the future. There's just now talk of, of uh, funding for bachelor's programs. And, and you're right. I think there was three or four accredited universities that we could do paper-based um, bachelor's degrees for out here in California is very difficult. Um, but I want to applaud that your, your belief system. Um, I feel that we have a kindred spirit in this way in that, you know, you, you would, you and your network would want, uh, the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated to, uh, earn their PhDs, earn their bachelor's degrees mm-hmm. or master's degrees, PhDs, and, and get involved in, um, transforming the culture of, of the, of the system, um, um, I'm sure they're doing um, work in criminal justice reform, you know, having those conversations with the, with the people that, you know, can proverbially pull the trigger and make things happen. And, and that's sort of what we're doing at crop organization in a different way. We see that so many times that the stigma out here is that, Oh, uh, why would he get a PhD? He would not be able to get a job or, or the stigma out here is that those who are coming out of prison probably only have the mindset to the mental capacity to work construction or um, do different types of jobs that, you know, barely um, pay a, a livable wage. When we believe that it's possible, we've seen so many men, like Jason talked about, um, that are getting their education, they're hungry for education, that, that can come out here and thrive in any environment. And so we're, we're in the business of creating opportunities for them to get, come out, get in the AOD industry, get advanced certifications in that field if they like, or in the tech industry. Um, I think there's a stigma there as well that, that, you know, they couldn't be engineers or they couldn't be involved in designing, you know, websites or, or uh, another aspect of our program is business to business sales in, in there. And we feel that uh, they're, they're human like anybody else, give them an opportunity. And, um, and, and if they're, the mindset is there to thrive, they'll thrive. And, and what's more, after being in an environment, as you have shared, Dr. Ross, that is, you know, largely fashioned to punish, to isolate, and to traumatize, uh, there's so many people who are eager and hungry to contribute, just hungry to contribute to, to meaningful work, meaningful intellectual conversations, uh, you know, uh, just they're, they're, they're excited, and they're, they're just looking for the opportunity. So we definitely appreciate uh, your network and, and, and your, your program that is, is creating some new opportunities for uh, intellectual capital to be shared among the uh, formerly and currently incarcerated populations. Why did well, you, you, why did you no. form? Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Ross. Sorry. Well, I was going to say that in, in California at uh, a handful of universities, they have a pro- this uh, project rebound uh, mm-hmm. groups and uh any uh, one uh, interested in uh, starting a uh, you know bachelor's uh, or continuing a, a bachelor's degree should, should who's being released should check out the group on campus because they form a sort of a mutual self-help uh, kind of organization. Uh, I know that uh, there's one at University of California, Long Beach, and I think there's one at University of California or, or California State, uh, um, Sacramento. Uh, there's one down at the University of California, San Diego. So those are those are uh, networks to tap in, uh, and uh, the state has given some money to these uh, to these programs. Yeah, they I'm sure you had, yeah, you were asking me a question yeah. earlier, uh, unless you want to build upon the project rebound. Uh, definitely. I'll, I'll build upon that and then come back with the question. But, um, 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 I'm grateful that you, that you mentioned project rebound in a, about a month or so we'll be, uh, 
having a podcast interview with the director of Project Rebound out of Sacramento State University, who's also formerly incarcerated, uh, served over 10 years in prison. And uh, we're eager to get that message out for those who are, you know, uh, who are released and, and, and want to pursue uh, you know, an, ap- an academic education. But the question I was going to ask is, why did you form Convict Criminology? Um, well, um, I, I it, it, you know, this is the origin story, and, and it dates back to the 1990s. Um, and I was uh, assembling an edited book, and I was uh, asked a colleague uh, if he knew anybody who could provide me feedback on the chapters that were in development. He said, speak to this guy, uh, Stephen Richards. Uh, who had been formerly incarcerated and, and he had uh, earned a, a PhD upon release. I got in touch with Stephen uh, via phone, via email, and uh, we clicked. Uh, and uh, uh, he agreed to uh, give me feedback on those uh, uh, chapters. And through a series of conversations, uh, we realized that we had a lot of similar opinions and about uh, prisons, about prisoners, about people who work in the institutions criminal justice system, scholarship on all these subject matters. And, and so uh, we met at the next American Society of Criminology conference and we decided to build convict criminology. That's basically how that worked. Great. I noticed that you put an edit on the book, um, convict criminology. Um, what, would you speak to, would you speak to the, the purpose of that? Um, well, the, the, the very first book, Convict Criminology, that was published in 2003 was an edited book. And so it grew out of a series of panels that we held at the American Society of Criminology over the years where uh, our colleagues would present papers on, on different aspects of uh, you know, corrections uh, and the criminal justice system. And we knew that uh, it was important uh, to uh, release a, uh, you know, a, a book um, and that an edited book would be a good vehicle to do that. It would uh, consolidate a lot of the different voices at the time who were uh, working uh, it, you know, on the subject matter of prisons, uh, people, again, who were formerly incarcerated, people who were justice impacted, people who were prison activists. And so that's how that all, 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 all came together. And uh, the, the forward was done by uh, John Irwin. And John Irwin uh, was, uh, uh, he since passed, he was one of uh, a handful of people uh, who were criminologists who had a significant um, uh, time behind bars and who were, was also a very prominent criminologist. So that was, that was quite an honor for him to, to do that uh, chapter and to, to have the book have the book come out in in your years of experience in this work dr ross i'm curious what do you think it's going to take uh not only to you know help the incarcerated population transform their lives but to kind of change the psyche of america about the purpose of prisons in america and how we can better support um our incarcerated people and help them to succeed upon re-entry into our communities well, let me tell you what convict criminology does. That, that that's at least one step in that direction of addressing those challenges. We do three things. We do number one, scholarly research. Number two, we do mentorship, and number three, we engage in uh, policy work or activism. And some uh, of uh, some of our network believes that both scholarship and mentorship is. Uh, uh, activist in nature. And I, I, I believe that to a certain extent, but in terms of the, the last component, you know, policy work and activism, we, we have served on, um, uh, you know, commissions or panels, uh, that are, their task is to monitor, uh, certain elements connected to the criminal justice system or corrections. Uh, we've done that at the community level. We've done it at the city level. We've done it at the regional state level. We've done that at the national level. We've also done a lot of uh, outreach through uh, the news media 
trying to get the message across that, uh, you know, people who are incarcerated are like you and I. There are sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters. There are parents. They're deserving of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, humanity. Uh, they're deserving of a second chance. Um, and the, the conditions inside uh, prisons uh, are uh, not uh, exactly how Hollywood uh uh, portrays them, uh, and we try to put sure. uh, put these uh, put the images and stories into perspective. Uh, so many students uh, and the public are fed a, a handful on a daily basis, a handful of myths on a daily basis, and this is. Oh, yeah. uh, I think I think this uh, prevents uh, meaningful reform, uh, and if we can contribute to the public understanding the reality of prisons. Uh, better than we're moving in the right direction. Many uh, Americans believe that people who are behind bars uh, deserve to be punished, and the, the conditions that they're uh, exposed to should be harsh. Uh, the time behind bars should be long. They believe many of them believe that uh, we shouldn't, uh, you know, give uh, uh, people uh, who are incarcerated uh, access to free education. But we all know, at least the scholarship uh, tells us, the rigorous scholarship tells us that, uh, A, that a high school education is not sufficient to get a job that allows you to put uh, food on the table to pay your bills to take care of your loved ones. And, and that a at minimum, a bachelor's degree uh, is what's really needed in uh, contemporary America in order to secure a reasonable job. And still we have people who have bachelor's degrees who are struggling. Uh, right. And it's even tougher because of COVID right now. So, um, and then you throw in the, the, then you throw in the stigma of someone having a criminal record on top of that. And right. it, it almost makes employment impossible in many respects. So yeah, totally, to, totally agree. Uh, totally agree. But the research says that if a formerly incarcerated person gets a bachelor's degree, the likelihood of, you know, quote unquote reoffending or being incarcerated again, uh, is diminished, uh, exponentially. Okay. So, uh, Less than 1%. That, um, I, 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 I agree. I mean, uh, uh, and, and so, so here's the thing is that we should have, instead of having a bare minimum, uh, getting a, uh, a GED, the bare minimum should be a bachelor's degree. Now, not every person who is incarcerated uh, wants to do a bachelor's degree, uh, sure. is capable of doing a bachelor's degree, but if they want to, that opportunity should be available to them and at minimal cost. Uh, sure. They shouldn't have to depend upon their family uh, who is, 99% of the time impoverished, sure. uh, who is having a tough time making ends meet, uh, you know, pay for this or, or getting into debt like so many Americans do, even the right. people who are not in, in prison. I mean, many countries in this world, uh, education uh, is uh, free, if not, uh, that is post-secondary education is free and mm -hmm. uh, or it's of minimal cost. And if I can just throw out like an interesting little fact to, uh, you know, the segment of the population who, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, have the kind of the, you know, lock them up and throw away the key mentality. mentality. Just a, a fun fact. Yeah. A fun fact here in California this year, 2020, uh, the state allocated almost $16 billion to the uh, CDCR to keep people locked up. And of that almost $16 billion, 4% is allocated for rehabilitation. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And let's assume that there's four goals of uh, incarceration. Uh, let's not assume. Uh, that's, uh, we, we know this, and that, that's what I teach my students. Number one is, you know, punishment. Uh, number two is to keep the community safe. Number three uh, is to serve as a deterrent, not only to the people who are incarcerated, but to people in society. They look at people who are incarcerated and they say, well, you know, in theory, uh, I'm not going to commit a crime because look what might happen to me. And number four, rehabilitation. 
Uh, and we know it does a terrible job of deterring, you know, incarceration does a terrible job of deterring people. And in general, it really does not lead to a de- decrease in crime. It's very good at punishing people. So, mm-hmm. uh, and rehabilitation, which is the fourth goal and, and a really a distant fourth, we should be spending at least a quarter of that budget on rehabilitation. And to learn that it's so such a small percentage of the total budget, it's almost criminal, if not of criminal. The, of, the, of the massive budget, massive. I mean, almost yeah, $16 billion. <clears throat> exactly. And the majority, yeah. of that, the majority of that money, as you know, uh, goes to salaries and benefits of correctional officers and administrators. It goes to pay for uh, the construction of facilities, the the, uh, the the managing of facilities, the running of facilities, you know, pay for the heat, the you know, the, the gas, the, the water, all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, it's not really going to, to help people. And it, it's really, and I, you know, I'm repeating myself and my apologies, and I sound like a broken record, I, my apologies, but, you know, um, it's, it's small wonder that few people are rehabilitated uh, after they spend yeah. time behind bars. You know, um, one of the things that society can you, you remember is the majority are going to be released. And so do you want the, the boot on their neck? Just punish, punish, punish. You know, I've said it before. Punishment doesn't equal transformation. Punishment does not equal transformation. If you increase that budget, you know, help people get into either vocational tracks, educational tracks, um, insight, insight therapy, whatever, whatever it is, and truly genuinely care about their rehabilitation, one day they're going to come out and they're going to be your neighbors. We're going to be your neighbors. And what type of neighbor do you want? Do you want one who was just completely punished for 20 years and, you buy, and you're thinking that he's going to come out and just be this model citizen? It doesn't work that way. Or one that has immersed himself in rehabilitative programming, education, uh, vocational trades, you know, um, and had his, had his or her um, substance abuse problems addressed, um, uh, you know, thinking problems addressed. You know, that's what we need. At the prison that Jason and I were at, when I first got there at 18, I was there for 18 years and two months in Soledad, and there was one AA program that met in the cafeteria um, once a month. And over time, me and, and Jason and just hundreds of other guys said, well, there's not funding, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start creating our own programs. And we had programs from everything from um, our AOD program to Toastmasters to a, a whole bunch of different AA, NA programs, criminals and gang members. Yeah. And we had um, – um, we care, which brought in the youth for us to talk to, not in a scared straight kind of way, but in a, us sharing our life stories to impact them, to deter them from coming in. And, and we just started creating it our own. And, 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 and by the time we left, I mean, in all three of the facilities that were there, there were over 120 different programs. And, 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 and the mind, we saw the mindset of, of CDCR begin to shift a little bit before leaving, but there's, definitely room for improvement. I mean, and then out here now working out here, um, I think it's called employer development, right, Jason, you know, going sure. to employers. That's, 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 a, that's a huge mountain to climb. Um, it really is. And, and, and we're actively in that fight, uh, in that climb right now, uh, just in educating employers on the value of hiring formerly incarcerated people. Um, because yep. as you said, Dr. Ross, there's this huge stigma, like because you made a terrible choice, 10, 20 years ago, uh, you can't be trusted or you can't add value to this organization. And that's simply not the truth. There's, as as I said earlier, there's people inside who are are eager to contribute in positive and productive ways um, and are are equipped to do so uh, more and more as, as the department is starting to see the value of rehabilitation and getting more in line with community-based organizations to provide it. um, You know, people are going to be coming out of prison ready to go. Uh, They just need the opportunity. They need the opportunity. Indeed. Yep. I mean, it's good to hear that you're so uh, entrepreneurial inside the institution to create these classes. Um, And, you know, many times it's left to the administrators, uh, 
you know, uh, this stuff doesn't get off the ground. So, uh, sure. I mean, you have to, and I think you probably learn through doing and through persistence how to start new programs behind bars and to get buy-in from the correctional officers, well, from fellow uh, fellow cons, from, uh, you know, uh, correctional officers, from the program staff. Uh, but, you know, the number one con- concern behind bars is security. And so security will always trump, uh, you know, uh, well-intended programs. Uh, sure. And uh, so you got to explain uh, to people who uh, whose main concern is security concerns why your program's not going to be a threat to security, uh, which 99% of the time it won't. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we, Ross, we, could, we can't count. Oh, I was going to say, ahead. we can't count how many times, how many times we've been told, uh, due to the safety and security of the institution, we can't allow that. I can't allow that. Safety and security. That's the company line. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ross, <laughs> we're, we're, we're working hard to, uh, get our podcast, on the institutional channels inside of the uh, uh, California prison and hopefully in other prisons in the future. Um, and, and we're, we're pretty close to, to, to making it happen. I'm curious if you have a word for, for those who are incarcerated, you know, there's over a hundred thousand people here in California on um, a word of encouragement um, uh, about academia or certain books that they could read, should read. What are your recommendations? Um, just whatever you have for them. Wow, that's a, a big question. Uh, you know, uh, certainly reading um, uh, the work that uh, I've done on convict criminology and that of my colleagues, but I mean, some general words, I don't know. I'm going to try that. I mean, first of all, is, number one is, is, is to really, uh, A, uh, stop complaining, take responsibility for your education. You've got to take responsibility for your own education and your own rehabilitation. Uh, and, and then, um, I guess, you know, uh, understand your weaknesses, try to address them in a strategic fashion, build upon your strengths, realize that in work and in, uh, life, there's few shortcuts, ignore the opinion of amateurs. And there's a lot of amateurs out there, uh, subject your work mm-hmm. to thoughtful criticism by experts, strategically follow their advice. And then when you can share your knowledge and your skills in a generous manner to people uh, and organizations that are deserving of your expertise and also be sensitive to the context in which you live, work and play. So your time behind bars may, you know, uh, might be used uh, very productively, you know, in terms of uh, earning uh, uh, some, uh, some credits towards uh, 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 university or even a, earning a bachelor's degree, and you can do a, a world of good beyond bars and start, you know, behind bars, making connections. For There's sure, some jewels right. There's some jewels right there. Was, <laughs> yeah, get that rewind button right there. Yeah, those are some deep principles. I appreciated that. That was great. I'm telling you, we uh, uh some of the, some of those some of the things we teach. You know, if you got a victim story about um, you know, the system or why you're there, I mean. It is what it is. You got about three minutes to share that story with us, but you got about a half hour if you got a responsible story. You know, we believe in extreme ownership at crop. You know, even if you're only 5% responsible, we want you to push in and own 100% of that 5%. You know, be proactive. You know, start empowering your own self. It's a much more empowering way and efficient and effective way to live your life when you're taking ownership. You know, we always have the mirror and the window analogy. You know, be willing to look in the mirror. You know, it's it's easier to look out the window at everyone and everything else that that is, that is hurting you. It's harder to look in the mirror, but if you can make it a, a practice, a discipline, and 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 eventually a way of being, when we always look in the mirror first. What what was my part? What was my contribution? How can I change it? How can I transform? What am I committed to, uh, to uh, for my future? In fact, we talk about you know envisioning envisioning your future who you want to be, what you want to do, and then living from that future with your actions in the present. Dr. Ross, I know we only have uh, um, about seven, seven or minutes or, or so here left on the show. I want to, I want to thank you. I also want to ask you is, you know, I know you're out there in Washington, DC and, um, and, and different parts, but uh, out here in California, there's a, there's a strong move against using um, what, what they call um, um, labels. 
labels like prisoner and inmate and um, um, convict. You know, a convict is like an old term. You know, when we first went in 20 years ago, that was a there's a difference between a convict and a prisoner. And, no, there's there's a difference between a convict and an inmate. They still talk yeah. about it inside today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, say, there's guys a convict, that I'm a convict. I'm a convict. I'm not an inmate. Yeah. So I'm it, not an inmate. It, I'm a convict. And interestingly, for for us, when we came out, you know, I've only been out of prison for uh, about eight months now. And I, when I would refer to my experience, I'd say, you know, when I was an inmate, and I was I would be chastised for that by some of these restorative justice organizations, like. Don't label yourself. You're a person. You're a human being. Uh, so sorry, Rich. I just yeah. wanted to share that a little bit. No, it's, it's, no, it's, it's true. A I, mean, and I think about, you know, um, sometimes it could be objectifying. I don't think that's the context for everybody. Jason and I, and Jason and I, Jason and I have had this conversation recently, yeah. even after the Lisa Ling show, you know, um, and, and context is everything. I, I remember my pants, our pants and shirt always had the word prisoner on it. And I remember like the first week getting out and being in, you know, Target or Walmart or the or malls and, and just being exposed to all these new colors. And I had this feeling that people could tell that I was just out of prison. Mm. And, uh, and I didn't really connect the dots. And I don't know if it was because all my clothes always said prisoner. Anytime I visited my family, my pants mm. had the word prisoner all the way down the leg in giant letters on the back. And, or when I was found suitable for parole, I remember telling certain officers that I had known for over a decade. Um, yeah, man, I'm going to go home. And I remember this like blank look over their face as if I wasn't meant to get out of prison. Like I, I was meant to be there. And, um, and I found that weird. And I wonder if it was because the, you know, that us and them, us versus them type of type of labeling. I'm not sure, but um, I wondered if, um, if there was any type of pushback against that, that language out there. Yeah. There, there's a lot to unpack there, but uh uh, you know, I, I know what you're saying is about the, the label convict versus inmate versus prisoner and, and, and the behind bars, the, the, those terms mean different things. And yes, we've received some pushback, but here, here's the thing. No self-respected quote unquote, formerly incarcerated person I've talked to really prefers uh, to be called formerly incarcerated. They'd rather be called convict or ex-convict. Uh, and I think there's a tendency, uh, um, in some liberal camps amongst restorative justice, uh, activists to, uh, somehow erase the word convict or ex convict. Um, and I can understand the objectification, uh, component and, and how you felt behind bars, uh, with respect to the types of clothing you wore, uh, how uh, correctional officers referred to you, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, so, uh, and, and among, you know, the Convict Criminology Network, we've had uh, interesting and spirited discussions about changing uh, our name from Convict Criminology to something different. And the question always sort of, sort of comes to a screeching halt when we say, okay, fine, well, what's going to be the new name? And none of the names seem appropriate for us. And, uh, so, I mean, for the time being, uh, we're going to still be called Convict Criminology. Uh, this was the original name. Uh, it did have and continues to have some shock value. Uh, it does have some sort of branding component, too. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, these, these, these names, I think, in some respects, uh, make outsiders... Uh, happy, but just because you change the name doesn't necessarily change the process. Um, and we see this uh, all the time in, uh, you know, rebranding, uh, organizations and, uh, networks and so on. Uh, uh, so, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of like old wine and new bottles. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of my take on it. Um, Thank you, Dr. Ross. Hey, we'd sure. love to um, stay in touch with you. Many of our friends are academics. Uh, uh, some of our close friends have earned master's degrees on the inside uh, from accredited universities. And and uh, if we'd like to get some insight or some mentoring or some advice on how, you know, um, how they can uh, earn their PhDs in the future, uh, where that's available. Um, that's my retirement plan, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to it real quick before we close out, Jay. Yeah, that's my dream. When I uh, when I I'm gonna do 20 good great years of work in the reentry space out here with Crop, and then 
uh, when I get into my uh, my golden years, I'm going to go back to school and get my PhD. So that's my retirement plan. <laughs> yes, why, why not do it part time? Do it part time. Work wow. on your PhD part time. Well, you know? I'm I'm, I'm uh, a part. Real, truth of the matter is, is I'm a part time employee for Crop, and I'm a full time dad of two two <laughs> young boys, <laughs> two babies. Yeah. So, oh. Two, two babies, and, uh, two babies, a two-year-old and a four-month-old. Yeah, so time is yeah. uh, is not sure. a lot of negotiation there. So understood. Yeah, family first. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. So listen, if people want to get in touch with me, um, they can write me uh, care of the uh, School of Criminal Justice at University of Baltimore, fourteen twenty North Charles Street. Um, um, and Baltimore, Maryland, 2101. Uh, and, and then uh, if they've got access to the internet, then just type in my three names into your preferred web browsers, and chances are you're going to find my website at or near the top of the list. Uh, it is jeffreyandross.com, and there's a contact page, and the contact page uh, has my work email, which is jross at uvault.edu. I do my best to respond to all requests. Uh, I can't help everybody, but uh, I try my best. I can often link them to somebody who can do a better job than, than I can. So something to think about as we move forward and try to address uh, the challenges of incarceration, of uh, uh, prison conditions, prisoner reentry. I'll definitely post those across all of our social media platforms, Dr. Ross, as well as on our podcasting uh, um, uh, platform. So uh, thank you for being on the prison post today. Uh, appreciate the conversation. We appreciate the conversation and appreciate the work you've been doing for years. Uh, thanks yes. uh, for thank inviting so much, me. Yep. And uh, keep up the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Yep. Take care. Thank you for listening to the prison post, a production of the crop organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs. That was great. Thank you, Dr. Ross. That was, that was a great conversation.